Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So good to see uh, more of you here as it fills back up. It's so good. It feels more and more normal every time we gather together. Uh, I want to start by introducing you to my newest, uh, one of my newest Amazon purchases. This is the Vestial Deluxe Steel Palette Buster, okay? Or as I like to call the VDSPB right? Because that's its initials and it goes quicker. And the way that this works, if you know what a pallet is, I don't have a pallet on me, but a pallet is, is something that people ship stuff on. And you can stick this prong in between uh, the slats of the wood and it will pry it up very easily. Otherwise, it's very difficult to get it up. And you can use that wood to make uh, art projects, to do construction, to do all sorts of stuff, but it's free wood and it is fantastic. If you ever need to borrow it, just let me know. It's great. But we use a lot of this wood all the time. And because of the new VDSPB, I have become a gleaner of pallets. Uh, just the other day, I was driving down Lineville Road and out by the road in a business, there was a stack of pallets. And there was this prize-winning pallet. It was about 12 feet long, and it was constructed with three-by-three three wood, which is really good wood, inexpensive wood. And so I took it home, and me and my son ripped it up, and now we have all this amazing wood to use for our craft projects and for other projects around the house. Um, I am, by nature, a gleaner. Uh, that's why I own a pickup truck, so I can glean stuff. Uh, just this past week, I was gleaning wood at the yard recycling center in Green Bay, firewood to take home and to, uh, you know, cut it up and use it for next winter. Uh, I, I, I have gleaned a, a old, nasty um, a chest that smelt like cat hair, brought it home, cleaned it up, and now it is our coffee table that we use. I love to glean things. Um, some people call it dumpster diving. Uh, I refute that. I want to call it gleaning because that's a much more biblical way of looking at it. Uh, to glean uh, is simply to gather up. That's what it means to glean, to gather up. And in today's passage, Ruth 2, the word glean appears 12 times in about half the verses in this chapter. And as we look at this theme of gleaning throughout Ruth chapter 2, we're going to see how it is even a central practice in our own walk with the Lord, especially during this Christmas season. Now, before we dig into Ruth chapter 2, let me recap Ruth chapter 1 with you. And as I do that, if you want to go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 2, it is page 222 in the Red Bible. 
So in Ruth chapter one, we read about a woman named Naomi. Naomi lives in Bethlehem with her husband and her two boys. There is a famine in the promised land. And so Naomi and her two boys decide to go outside the promised land, which is not good. And they go into uh, the region of Moab with the Moabites. And what starts as a sojourning in Moab to get some food ends up being a move to Moab, which is not a good thing. And while in Moab, uh, her two sons marry Moabite women, one named Ruth and the other one named Orpah. And, and so while they are in Moab, tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband dies. And, and of course, that is sad and th that brings lots of grief to the family. But it goes worse than that. Uh, now, no, Naomi's sons both die there as well. And so Naomi is in this foreign land of Moab with no family. And to make matters worse, she is now going to be uh, stuck in a life of poverty because she does not have parents to take care of her. She doesn't have a husband to take care of her and she doesn't have children to take care of her. And so she is destined for a life of poverty. Because of this, Naomi becomes extremely bitter. So bitter that when she returns home to Bethlehem, she tells the people, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. She says, instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Lord has been bitter against me, she says, or the Lord has been against me, his hand has been against me. And so she is now defined by her bitterness. And as we saw last time, her bitterness blinded her to the kindness of God found throughout that really hard chapter in Ruth chapter one. Now, something really cool happens in Ruth chapter one as well. As Naomi makes her way back to Bethlehem, Ruth devotes herself to go with Naomi. And, and Ruth makes a, a profession of faith in the Lord God. She says, I wanna leave my land and go and be in the promised land. I wanna leave my people and go be with the people of God. I wanna leave my gods and go and worship the Lord God the rest of my life. And so she professes faith in the Lord God. And she chooses to go to, with Naomi. And so here, here you have Ruth and Naomi coming back into Bethlehem. Ruth is a new believer. And Naomi is a woman who is broken and bitter and has no way to provide for herself, much less for Ruth. And so I think it is safe to say that they come back into this community as very, very needy people. Financially, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, they are needy people. But then again, so are we. I, I mean, you may be financially comfortable. Chances are most of us are because we live in America. But we are a needy people. That's why we started a counseling center here. This is why we have small groups. It's because we are needy people. Tell me your marriage is not in need of God's grace. <laughs> Tell me your singleness is in need of God's grace. Tell me your attitude. I know my attitude. Kids could testify yesterday. My attitude was in need of God's grace, right, kids? Yes and amen. We are needy, needy, needy people. And as we will see here in Ruth chapter 2, is that God delights to provide grace for needy people. Maybe not all the grace we want but all the grace we need to satisfy our souls. And so today is a study of how we can go and we can glean for God's grace. 
But before we do that, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you (laughs) that you love needy people. If you did not love needy people, none of us would have your love. And so, Lord, help us to glean your grace from this passage today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in today's passage, we have four things we're going to learn about gleaning the grace of God in our everyday life. The first is this, that we must glean on God's grace aggressively. I actually want to back up and look at the last verse of chapter 1 and then um, on to the first verse of chapter 2. And hopefully I have the right translation of the Bible this week. I know last week it was off. Um, but the end, of, the end of Ruth chapter 1, just to give us the context, the setting, okay? Verse 22 says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And so, okay, right now they are setting the stage for Ruth chapter two. And the first thing we learn is that Ruth and and Naomi come back during a harvest time, a harvest of barley, which is going to be important as we move forward in this story. But the second thing that we read here is that there is a man who is a clansman of Elimelech and his name is Boaz. And what we find out about Boaz is that Boaz is a worthy man. Now, this could mean many things. It could mean that he was prosperous, that he had great character, that he was a godly person. It turns out that it's probably all of the above, as we'll read throughout this chapter. Now, here's the important thing as we move into verse 2. Verse 1 is a heading, okay? It's a heading for what's going to happen in chapter 2. As we move into verse 2... Uh, uh, Naomi is not thinking about Boaz at all. And Ruth probably has no idea that Boaz even exists. Okay, so that's the heading. And now we move on to verse two. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. This word in verse two, favor, uh, can also be translated grace. Matter of fact, when you read the King James Version of this verse, it uses the word grace. In King James Version, Ruth 2, 2 says, And Ruth the Moabitess said to, unto Naomi, Let me go now to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Ruth wanted to go and glean God's grace. You see, gleaning was God's idea. It was a way of extending grace to those who were in need. In Leviticus chapter 19, and I think we have it up here on the screen for you as well, this is the provision that God made. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your fields right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. This command is repeated and expanded on in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 24. But God is making a provision of grace for those who are in need. And Ruth is asking them if she can go and she can reap. If she, uh, sorry, if she can go and she can glean 
uh, from these fields as a gift of God's grace. Verse three continues, says, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Remember at this time, Ruth and Naomi aren't even thinking of Boaz. And yet by God's wonderful, kind providence, he leads Naomi, excuse me, leads Ruth to the field of Boaz. And you can see on the screen up here, a, a picture of what this might have looked at. You can see See the workers in the background cutting up and harvesting the wheat and then the poor behind them gleaning the leftovers. This is what was happening here. Verse four continues and it says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Again, pause here for a moment. Sorry it's so chat, but there's so much good stuff here. Remember, this is happening in the time of judges when everyone is doing right in their own eyes, not in the eyes of the Lord. And yet here is a man who, who trusts in the Lord, who believes in the Lord, who blesses others in the name of the Lord and receives the blessing from others in the name of the Lord. He's a godly man. Verse five continues. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth gleans from sun up to sundown, as we'll see in the rest of this chapter. She is desperate for food, desperate for this provision of God's grace. And so Ruth goes gleaning actively and goingly and aggressively. But Naomi does not. Naomi stays at home. And I don't think it's because she's physically unable to go and glean. She did just make a 60 mile journey from Moab to Bethlehem not too long ago. And so physically, she seemed like she was able to be mobile and to do such things. But Naomi was trapped at home in her own bitterness. She was so hopeless and helpless that she could not imagine God's provision of grace that was to come. But Ruth, Ruth was aggressive. Commentators disagree in the Hebrew if Ruth is asking Naomi or telling Naomi. But she says in verse 2, let me go to the field and glean. Remember, at this point in time, Ruth is a believer. And she is adamant and aggressive in going to glean for God's grace. Uh, when Trish and I lived... Uh, in our last house, which is over by Preble Park on the east side, by Edison Middle School a little bit. Um, we, we learned about this, this event that would go on every year. It was basically an Easter egg hunt at Pamperin Park. If you've ever been there, there's, there's a huge clump of trees. And what they would do is they would take, uh, the firefighters would put this on. They'd take caution tape and they put it around all the trees. And then they would go in between these trees and they would just dump out candy all over the place. There was no eggs. It wasn't really a hunt. I mean, it was, you could see it anywhere, all right? And so the kids would have to stay outside this caution tape until the time came. And when the time came, the fire engine would sound its horn. And if you wanted to see aggressive gleaning, this was your moment. 
I mean, even some of the parents were aggressively gleaning at this moment. If you can imagine, the kids were so excited to go and get the candy and put it in their basket. They were aggressively gleaning. Now, when I asked my kids to go and glean the sticks out of the backyard, they are a little bit less aggressive, as all of us probably would be, right? We are called to glean God's grace through what theologians call the means of grace. These are things by which God dispenses his grace and feeds our souls. This includes the preached word, the read word, the sacraments, the the prayer, fellowship, and on and on. Can I ask you, how aggressive are you at gleaning God's grace? Do you glean it like candy or like sticks? Maybe like Naomi, you are trapped in your bitterness, dominated by hurt from past churches or from this church. Possibly you've forgotten how needy you are for God's grace. And so you have regressed in your pursuit of feasting on God's grace. We are called to glean on God's grace, not begrudgingly like a child picking up sticks, but like a child going to grab candy. We are called to glean on God's grace aggressively. Secondly, we learn here that we are to glean on God's grace humbly. We're about to enter in now into Boaz's first interaction with Ruth and our, 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 our breath is held a little bit, okay? Because we know that Boaz really kind of has all the power. He's a man of position, of wealth. Ruth, on the other hand, is, is a foreigner who, who is poor, who really doesn't have anything to contribute to this relationship. And so Boaz uh, goes to talk to Ruth and we are wondering, what is Boaz going to say? Is Boaz going to say, get off my lawn, kid, right? Like maybe he would say that. Let's look at verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. I know as we read this passage and we see the kindness of Boaz towards Ruth, we're tempted to think that it is for romantic reasons. But I don't think that's the case. Here he calls Ruth his daughter. Uh, We see throughout this book that Boaz is much older than Ruth. And so I don't think Boaz is doing this for romantic reasons, simply because he's doing it simply because he wants to show the kindness of God to another person that is in need. And so in verse eight, he tells her, don't go in any other field, implying to her that he's gonna provide all that she needs. He says, keep close or cling to the other women. He knows she's a foreigner. He knows she's a sojourner. He knows she doesn't have connections or relationships that she's, that she's vulnerable. So he says, stay close to these women. Don't be alone. He goes on in verse nine, and we even see uh, his protection over her as he charges his men not to touch her. This is the first sexual harassment policy recorded in scripture. He's working for her safety and protection because she is vulnerable. Finally, we get to verse nine and and we see he says, don't even worry about bringing your own water or going back to get more water. I will provide the water you need to drink. 
In this passage, Boaz is not simply obeying the gleaning laws of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Boaz is going above and beyond in his kindness to Ruth. And she knows it. Ruth doesn't, doesn't take this stuff and say, I deserve this. This, is, this, is, this belongs to me. This is, this is what I should get because I have been a good person, because I have been a good daughter-in-law. She doesn't say anything like that. Look at verse 10 with me. See her response. It says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why, why have I found favor or grace in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? There is this re repeated reminder throughout this chapter that, that Ruth is not from this place, that Ruth is a Moabite, that Ruth is a foreigner. You could go through and circle it in chapter two. It's all over the place. There's a reminder that, that Ruth is not from here, which means that she is subject to racial biases to be marginalized. But here, Boaz, instead of racially degrading this alien, pours out his kindness upon her. And Ruth is so humbled and overwhelmed by his kindness that she falls down almost in a posture of worship because she knows she is the recipient of the undeserved kindness of this worthy man named Boaz. And so in humble wonderment, she says, why have I found grace in your eyes? that you should take notice of me. Verse 11 continues. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says here, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. This is not a works righteousness salvation that Boaz is talking about here. Ruth is already a believer in the Lord God. But what he is identifying is that when we seek to be obedient to the Lord, to follow the Lord, to be sacrificial in pursuing the Lord, that the Lord rewards us with his kindness. Verse 13 says, Then, again, humbled and overwhelmed by Boaz's kindness, she said, I have found favor, grace in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. Again, she is acknowledging that because she is a foreigner, because she is poor, because she is not one of Boaz's hired hands, his kindness goes far beyond Levitical law. Ruth is humbled and overwhelmed by the grace of God through this man. She knows she is completely undeserving of it. I saw a video this week of, of a man named Sam Brownlee. He was a deputy police officer in Weld County, Iowa. Uh, Sam had this privilege of getting to drive a Dodge Charger as his police vehicle, which he loved. He loved Dodge Chargers, and he took very good care of this vehicle. Well, on November 23rd, 2010, uh, Sam was pursuing a, a gang member uh, who had been called in for domestic violence. 
And as he chased the man down, Sam was shot and died. And he left behind a wife and four sons. Five years later, Officer Sam Brownlee's beloved charger was going to be auctioned up to support charity. One of his sons, Tanner, started a GoFundMe page. And he rose around $3,500 to buy his dad's charger because it was such a special memory of his father. Well, the day of the auction came and bidding began around $2,000. It quickly went past $3,500. It quickly went past the Kelly Blue Book value of $12,500. It went past $20,000, $25,000, $30,000. At this point, his son knew that he didn't have the money to purchase his car. The final winning bid for this charger valued around $12,000. The final, the final winning bid was $60,000. And it was sold to a local farmer named Steve Wells. And as Wells came forward uh, to retrieve the keys, he shook the officer's hands, grabbed the keys, turned to Tanner and said, Tanner, here's your car. As you can imagine... Tanner melted and was sobbing, this, this, this teenage 20-year-old boy sobbing. And when he was able to gather himself together, he stood up and he hugged this farmer whom he had never met before because he was so overwhelmed and humbled by the kindness of this man. Christian, this Christmas season, Let us glean God's grace aggressively and let us receive God's grace humbly because of his overwhelming kindness to an undeserving people. The third thing we see here is we are to glean on God's grace sharingly. Because of Boaz's extraordinary kindness, um, well, sorry, Boaz's extraordinary kindness, as we see in this passage, goes even further, (laughs) absurdly further, excessively further, as he invites Ruth to come and to dine with he and his servants. Verse 14, he says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, meaning she was full, and she had some left over. So she has, this is important for later in the story, but she has a to-go bag, a doggy box, you know, that type of thing, because she has leftover food from the meal. Verse 15, when she rose to glean after dinner, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. This is the extraordinary kindness of Boaz who says, don't simply just give her the leftovers, which would be good enough. But he says, give her the good stuff. Drop some of your bundles off so that she can pick it up. Again, there seems to be no end to Boaz's kindness to this poor foreigner. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. An ephah of barley, which I know we're not familiar with, 
is about 22 liters. That's enough to feed a person for a month. That's an extraordinary amount. I mean, kids, imagine if your dad got home, he opened up the trunk, and there are 22 liters of soda. What are you going to say? Yes, right? You're going to glean very aggressively, I'm sure, in that moment. What if your mom comes home, and she brings home five gallons of ice cream? You're going to say, amen, right? This is the quantity of food that is given to Ruth in this day. And so when we turn to verse 18, it continues. It says, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Can you imagine how big her eyes would have been? She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. That's the to-go box from supper. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Can you imagine how overwhelmed, bitter Naomi was by the grace of God in this moment? Verse 19, and her mother-in-law, again, verse 19, said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is... Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. In the original Hebrew language, verse 20, it's, it's unclear whose kindness Naomi is praising, uh, she, when she says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, it, it could be the kindness of Boaz that she's talking about or the kindness of the Lord. It's probably both. But there is a kindness to the living being Naomi and Ruth, but also to the dead, Elimelech, her husband who has passed away to carry on his people, to provide for his family. But in this passage, we see a pattern that God was gracious to give Boaz a good harvest. Boaz gleaned on God's grace sharingly, giving it generously to Ruth and by association also Naomi. Furthermore, Ruth did not take this doggy bag of food home for herself or this ephah of barley for herself, but she gave sharingly and generously to Naomi. Here we see a vital connection between this point and the last point that those who receive the kindness of God with great humility are those who share the kindness of God with others with great humility and generosity. You know, this week I was thinking through how do these gleaning laws apply to us in principle? Does this mean I need to leave like a bagel out on my front doorstep? What do I have to do to, to honor what the Lord is trying to do here in these gleaning laws? And as I thought and processed through it, one of the things I realized is that many in our church do a wonderful job at this. I was talking to one family this week who said, you know, if we buy something uh, and then we have no more use for it, we don't sell it. We consider it extra and we give it to someone who is in need. I know people in our congregation who have donated cars to people in need. I've had people in the congregation come to me and say, listen, the Lord has blessed us financially. If you know anyone in our church who is in genuine need, please come and talk to me so that we can give to that person in need. Some people can't give financially, which is perfectly fine because they can give of their time and their talents to others to serve them and to love them. 
But here's the thing is that God has given his kindness not to end with us, but so that we might share it with others. And so as we consider this passage and God's kindness to us, the question is, who might God be calling you to extend? to share his kindness with others. Maybe it might be someone who is lonely that just needs you to have them over for a cup of coffee. Maybe it is someone with financial needs to help pay off their bills. Maybe it's someone who who needs a a job done around the house that they don't have the ability to do or the money to pay for. Maybe it's to go and to help them in that way. But here's the thing, when we glean on God's grace aggressively, when we receive God's grace humbly, it overjoys us to share God's grace generously. Fourth thing that we learn about gleaning God's grace here, and I'll try to speed up, but verse 21 says, and Ruth the Moabite said, besides he, Boaz, said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, it, with his young women lest in another field you be assaulted. Again, speaking to the danger of the times. Verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley, and, that's a big and, and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth reaped the kindness of the grace of the Lord through Boaz, regularly, religiously, repeatedly. You see, God created us to be needy people, needy for the grace of God regularly and religiously and repeatedly. I mean, think of it this way. Why did God create Ruth and Naomi and you and me with a need to eat multiple meals a day? Why didn't God just create us to have to eat one meal one day of the year? That would be far more efficient, wouldn't it? I mean, we'd probably get a lot more things done. But God created us to need to eat food frequently to show us how needy of a people we are. But more importantly than how needy we are is how generous he is to provide for us graciously and kindly day after day, meal after meal, month after month, year after year. That's why we say grace before meal because it is a reminder that God provides for all of our needs, even our daily bread. You see, in scripture, it it often parallels our physical hunger and thirst needs with our soul needs of God's grace. Psalm 42, one, you probably heard of these. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. He's not talking about physical hunger, but spiritual hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Friends, your soul is much needier than your stomach. And God has provided abundant grace for your gleaning. God, by his kindness, has provided people, his church, to feed your soul. He's provided his word to feed your soul, his sacraments to feed your soul. Don't ever neglect the glean of God's grace, because if you do, you will only starve your soul. Glean aggressively, humbly, sharingly, but also glean regularly, repeatedly, religiously, 
even in summer. Let me end with this. Let me end with a Christmas connection. Uh, In this chapter, we are introduced to a really beautiful concept of a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman is simply someone that you are related to. It's extended family. And a redeemer is someone who will purchase something back. Uh, In Leviticus 24, it says this. uh, It says, if any of you, your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells himself to the foreigner or to a member of the foreign clan, they retain the right of redemption after they have sold themselves. One of their relatives may redeem them. That's purchase them back out of their debt, out of their bondage, out of their slavery. An uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in their clan may redeem them. In Ruth chapter two, we are told that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer of Naomi. And after his display of wonderful, extravagant kindness, you can imagine Naomi is sitting there thinking, what if, what if, This worthy, godly, kind man named Boaz will purchase me and Ruth out of our poverty and misery. What if this great man, out of great expense to himself and his kindness, chooses to purchase Ruth and me back to himself? Friends, all of us are under a debt we could never afford. All of us are slaves to sins, debtors to the justice of God. And all of us, by our own doing, have put ourselves into the misery of spiritual starvation. But the good news of Christmas is that God has sent to us a greater Boaz. As great as Boaz is, we have a much greater Boaz, a greater kinsman redeemer, our big brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come and purchased us out of slavery, not with silver and gold, but by with his body and his blood upon the cross, where he displays the most extravagant kindness and grace, not towards a worthy people, but an unworthy people, to purchase us, to redeem us back to himself, And then on the third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven to go and prepare a place for all the redeemed to live in the atmosphere of his kindness and grace and love for all eternity. This is our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and glean, glean of God's grace aggressively, humbly, sharingly, and repeatedly. Let's pray. Lord God, we so thank you that you did not leave us in our spiritual poverty, our spiritual destitution. You did not leave us spiritually dead, but that through the redemption of Jesus Christ, you have given us life. You have shown your extraordinary kindness and so, God, may we, may we always live as debtors of your grace, knowing that we are received by you, welcomed by you to feast on your grace day after day. Help us to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.